Well, here we are. Hello, Internet. What is up? And in this week's episode, we're going to sit down with a, a fantastic friend of mine and a business mentor of mine, the, the uh, talented and great Rick Elder. Rick and I go way back. Rick's got a f- amazing history and all the things that he's done in regard to his time in procurement uh, for the U.S. Gov and then everything he's done relative to business, most notable of which he was the executive director over at Smith Elite for a time, which uh, him and I worked really closely together in that. We talk about that during the podcast. That was probably one of the best times I think I've ever had in my adult life working for a company and uh, working for a particular brand consulting like Smith. They were just a great company back then. Lots changed since then, but uh, back then was amazing. Great, great time. And that's where him and I did a lot of close work together and did a lot of great things for the Smith brand and uh, for the Elite Eyewear line. And then he moved on to to Beyond and uh, is the president of Beyond Clothing. And we dive into all of that and we discuss all that. Beyond fantastic uh, survival built clothing. If you're into outdoor adventure and you like good quality goods made here and also abroad, they have uh, two lines, the Axios line, which is their domestic manufacturing, and they have the Kairos line. And uh, much like all the other gear that I trust my comfort and survival to, Beyond does a fantastic job. And I hope you guys enjoy it, but I'll uh, let him talk more about that as we dive into episode with Rick Elder. Enjoy. Dude, just like, what the fuck is this? What is, what is your podcast even called? What are we doing here? This is number. Th- I am. This is number. Th- I'm amazed and confused simultaneously. I don't even know what's happening. Yeah, I mean, well, you and I talked about this. How long ago? Two, two years ago. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I've kicked around the idea of doing this for, yeah, last two and a half, three years, and just, I don't know. Probably had the. I had a good talk about this with Andy Stump, and like we, you know, guys that come from the community or the background like we don't like being in the forefront we don't like shameless self-promotion we don't like being on social media we don't like being in front of the camera we certainly don't like sitting down and podcasting and putting our voice out there or opinions out there for everybody else to scrutinize so it took me a really long time to basically quit being a bitch and get over myself and uh i finally did it because i had Andy and my other really good friend, Matt Vincent, who has a super successful podcast as well, basically had me on as guests and then, uh, you know, as a guest and then had really f- a great time with them. And people just like blew me up and they're like, dude, you sounded awesome. And your story was funny and you sound good and you should like do your own podcast. And I was like, well, funny that you mentioned that because it's been an idea in the back of my mind for a couple of years, but just didn't, as most people don't succumb to my fears and anxieties about social media and the, you know, the internet eat the sphere. And I didn't execute it until like, finally I was like, okay, fuck it. I'm doing this. We pause for a quick commercial break coming to you directly and sponsored by Orion design group.com. <laughs> now back to the action. Right. Yeah, no, I think that's great. So is what, do we have a name? Is, do we have this thing named? Yeah. The lone element podcast. Lone element. I like it. Mm-hmm. We're out there. We're yeah. out there. Yeah. So, I mean, it's up to us. 
Nobody is coming. Nobody's coming, as yep. our good friend Evan yep. says yep. over at 30 Seconds Out. Brought to you by 30 Seconds Out. <laughs> 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 Much right. love, Evan. So, okay. Well, okay, cool. Lone element. Here we are. This is awesome. I'm happy. Yep. This is very official. There's lots of equipment and cords and... You know, this stuff sounds legit, so... I mean, more cords and equipment, but, I mean, it's pretty simple. I got the same exact setup that my friend Matt Vincent has, because I was just like, wow, this is really simple, and it's easy to travel with, like... Yep. I mean, you can fit this all in a really small pouch, so... It's perfect. Yeah. Awesome. Works great. Andy has a much bigger setup. Like, he's got this, like, whole board with, like... I mean, he still uses headphones like I do, but he has, like, this huge board with this like big red record button and he's like okay when i push this button go but it's this huge thing that he has to put in a pelican case and i'm like no fuck that that's too much for me so (laughs) i got something that i can fit in my cargo pocket if i have to well dude thanks so much for uh hanging out and uh sitting for me for a portrait that's a big deal yeah 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 well i'm hoping you're gonna talk about some of that stuff because your photography has been really good from i think from the get-go like you've done really really cool photography right out of the gate like when you started first started dabbling with it and you you know you put up you know lawless truth are you still posting all of your stuff exclusively to lawless truth or yeah pretty much yeah i mean some of the stuff goes to other places and obviously um i get to do a little bit of work for the brand so that's fun you know uh but yeah yeah there's been some unique opportunities um i get to do um, got to do a, a, uh, the book cover and some, some, uh, inside work with, uh, Chris's Abbott. Uh, right. and that was really fun. And she's just always super fun to work with. And, and so, uh, but, uh, but yeah, no, it's been, it's been frankly amazing. It's been really, really awesome on that side of things. So yeah, you've had a really, you've had a really awesome journey. So like, let's dive into that and like, let's back up okay. and you kind of give us like, you know, go, let's go all the way back to like when you joined the military and then mm-hmm. kind of, you know, go through your military time and then, you know, everything leading up to like where you are, we're at, where we're sitting right now. Well, I mean, you know, the military is, I owe it, frankly, everything, right? It set, uh, you know, it took a, a kid who didn't graduate college, who enlisted as a, as a private um, after having what I consider a bit of a nervous breakdown looking at what my career path was going to be as a, as a labor negotiator for, uh, for unions, um, out of Michigan. And of course the whole family coming from, you know, UAW, my mom still is a nurse, is a teamster, like it's just, you know, Michigan and sort of that union, uh, culture is really strong there. And so, um, I remember, <laughs> I remember sitting there and this, this guy that was our lead and I was doing my internship and it was this big deal. And we were crushing down on some union for like a, you know, eighth of a point of something over five years that made no difference to anybody. And there was this, this portly, portly gentleman that seemed to sweat even when he wasn't doing anything. And, and, uh, never forget they had these donuts sitting on tables, big old tray of donuts. (laughs) And, uh, and I'll never, I'm watching, you know, we had to, we had to march in. We all had like, like little, our little polo shirts and our ties. And we were all, we marched in in order. We sat at once showing the unity of the, of the management team, supposed to like really you know freak freak the other side of the table out and i watched this guy reach over and pull out a jelly donut and you know how jelly donuts are like they got a hole in them where they fill the thing mm-hmm. and then they got the other side right well so he bit the side without the hole oh. and i watched the jelly come out of the donut and then go down his like his 
JC Penny tie thing he was wearing. And then so this really fat sweating guy at the end of the table trying to wipe the jelly off his tie. And I realized that he was the person I was supposed to become. He was what he was. He was, he was the bar. Mm. And I literally, that's a visceral. I, I broke into like a body sweat. I soaked through my like, and I walked out, mm-hmm. did not finish my last term of college, walked straight into a recruiter and, uh, enlisted in the army. And, Hardcore visceral reality check right there. Yeah, and, and, and admittedly, I'm pretty interesting and kind of lucky in that all the men in my family back pretty far had served. I mean, there was even on my on my father's side and the elder side, there were three elders that actually fell in the Civil War. And so, but we're also unique in that we don't have anybody famous. There's, I am, my lineage is amazing. Like anytime people talk about my lineage, they're like, oh, and the, you had a great aunt who... We're not sure whether she was crazy or just had syphilis, but ended up in the poor house in Detroit. And that was a high point for three generations ago. And I'm like, oh my God, what, what the, <laughs> what the hell, what the hell primordial pool did I fall out of? Right. And how do you overcome that? You know? And so, uh, so, but no, the, uh, uh I enlisted, uh, the, the goal is to become a, a, an FBI agent, which was always my dream, um, as a little boy. So I enlisted as a military policeman because that recruiter said, that's a great way to do it. Mm. and you know went through the the little whatever training you go through and i woke up and they sent me to panama which i really was awesome at the time so it was great you know kid yeah what year was this yes it was uh 1993 kid kid off a you know farm you know you know small farm town in michigan just north of detroit and all of a sudden i'm in uh, i'm in central america and uh and it took me about a year and i remember looking around and i'm like you realize and i remember talking to my buddies i'm like you realize we're not like very good at what we do. Have you noticed that? Like, like they handed out, I remember they handed out like a new pistol, a new SIG to everybody. That was a big thing. They were rolling out and like three dudes shot themselves in the foot through their like holsters. Oh, and, oh man. And so then they took all the SIGs away and there was just it, from a, just a common sense. Cause I wasn't some big tactical kid or anything. Mm-hmm. I didn't have a background, in it, but I'm looking around and I'm like, I think we kind of suck a little bit at what we do. And then, and I'm, I'm sure somebody listening to this will take umbrage, but hey, it, I just I felt that it was true at least at the time. And then, and, and then uh, I was like, "Have you realized nobody likes us? Like we're the military police. Nobody nobody digs us. No, they're always they're, yeah." Just so we're clear, everybody hates the fuck out of you. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, and so for me, I'm looking around. I'm like, "What the what the hell's happening here?" So uh, I, uh, I you know I uh, actually ended up going to. Never forget it. I ended up going to officer candidate school. And when my bid came in, like my little thing, whatever, giving me orders, um, I was cleaning a, a, a toilet at the time. I was, you know, in a latrine. I had this first sergeant that was just as country yokel as you possibly could. I think he ended up getting busted for something. But uh, but he looked over and he just said, you know, he just said, uh, fucking elder going to the OCS and just started giving me a bunch of crap. And, and my bid came in. I didn't get to choose. You don't get to choose. Mm-hmm. Gonna do that. So it's like, you're going to be a chemical officer. And I'm like, I don't know what the hell that means. But I'm like, I literally look it up at him. I said, hey, first Arna, do chemical officers have to clean clean like the shitters? And he goes, no, Elder, I suppose they don't. And I was like, I'm going. <laughs> <And> so, <laughs> <laughs> 
So I went to went to OCS. That was and that was actually a really interesting experience. I was in there with some awesome guys, a lot of rangers, warrant officers, a lot of it was a really interesting time to do that. And uh, but I was in the chemical corps and I had no clue what the chemical corps was, that it was, you know, it was like kind of the dregs of society in the military, right? At least in the army. It's a, got a little more respect as a CBRN person in the mm-hmm. other side. But so, you know, I ended up doing that. But what was cool was, you know, it's, you know, you always want to, you know, it's easy to stand out when, you know, your peer group just isn't that tight. And so and I was like, and I was pretty fit and I always could do some things there. So, you know, I, you know, I ended up kind of getting attached to military or to infantry units that had awesome people and they were all just chock full of rangers just to include like i worked for my first you know four years for um a guy named um then lieutenant colonel uh joseph votel and then went on to be you know oh, jsoc and socom yeah. commander and, and all the people that he brought around him fucking and, legend yeah right and and uh so i was doing that and then and then one day I'll never forget it. I'm up at, at 10th Mountain Division, and and uh, I'm the assistant S3 up there as a as a first lieutenant, I guess, or a second lieutenant or whatever. And uh, this <laughs> this guy calls this phone and the phone, and he's like, "Hey, how you doing? I hear there's a hot shit camo up there that wants to come be a ranger." And I literally said, I literally on the phone, I was like, "Shut the fuck up! The rangers don't call people." And I hung up on him. I guess I was a little, I just hung up. Like, shut the fuck up. I thought somebody was just busting my They're balls. They're messing with you. Yeah, they're messing, right? And, uh, and then the, then the, the phone rang back and they're like, they're like, oh my, they're like, no, really, really? It's the Rangers. Like we want you to love. like, I'm like, really? Like this is what we talk about. And then, so I, I ended up going to, uh, to assessment and, uh, I ended up down at first Ranger and the, uh, 175, yep, 175, right. The get off the grass battalion, the as gr- we all know. Great outfit it was it, it was it was really awesome what was interesting was the commander we had coming in who was i guess just hard as woodpecker lips decked himself in hard and selection he was one of those guys that like didn't drink enough water and was mm. humping and didn't stop and of course it's georgia and he literally baked himself so badly as they found him that he just had to like leave the service oh wow and all of a sudden they're like oh your new commander's joe votel and so I'm sitting down there. I'd been there for like three weeks. And then Joe walks in and, you know, I was an untabbed first lieutenant in first ranger as a chemo. Like you can't line it up. And so I had all these, uh, all these uh, academy grad captains in here in the three shot. And they were just busting my balls in all directions. And then Joe came in and his wife, Michelle, was wonderful. He ran up and gave me a kiss on the cheek. And then, he so one of the captains said he needed something and Joe looks over and goes, Hey, uh, give it to Rick. He's really good at all that. And then he walked out and it was like, it was like, there was a tremor in the force that just mm. like the whole thing, all of a sudden, everyone just looked at me and looking at them. And, uh, so I ended up spending uh, about three years there. And so he took over as the battalion commander, battalion commander yeah, that okay. was it. Yep, up there. And, and he was, and it was awesome. It was, I got to learn from the likes of uh, of Sergeant Major Ricky Merritt, and there was just a, a cast of characters well, I know there well. that, that were just really special people, um, and 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 got to teach me a lot, and I got to learn a lot, and then I got to the end of that, and and um, I, and there was this this place called Natick, and some people I know had gone up there, and they were calling back down, and they needed, of course, by that point in special operations, you know, I was one of about thirteen guys doing. CBRN special operations stuff, 
right? So that's a pretty small group in the bigger right. thing, right? But you also have another accolade, which I absolutely love, which you conveniently skipped over, which is your illustrious MMA career with, with within the 75th. No. I think I, we, need to, uh, we need to back up and we need to talk about right. that for a second. Is a guy who can barely pick a box up now without like, you know, worrying about his back. It's, it's, uh, you know, the truth is I wrote this paper that actually got handed out at, um, at, uh, at the infantry officer basic course to everybody. And it really surrounded how you differentiate yourself amongst your peers. And one of the ways um, was physical fitness and, um, and skills drills, like, you know, whether it be sports or hand-to-hand or whatever, because you had to sort of separate on all that. And so right in the front end of that, right when the Gracies, I mean, there's so many people that are listening to this podcast that were there for that. And all of a sudden grappling was a thing before grappling is what it is today. Right. You know, before there was 40 submissions from every thing, there was like three. Mm-hmm. And I was a fit, skinny, you know, white boy that could take a lot of pain for some reason. I could, you could just squeeze on me for a long time and I was just too dumb to, but I wasn't the toughest guy by any stretch, but now it became like chess. Like if somebody's just like punching on you and I'd done a little of that kickboxing stuff and, and that was fun, but it was really no fun getting punched in the face. But this rolling with somebody, it was like, it was like a chess game. It was really fun. And so I did it a lot and uh, did it with a lot of really interesting people and guys like Al Buford um, out of the unit who was there to help teach me. And, um, and, uh, you know, and at the end of the day, we, you know, every, I don't know how long often they do it now, but they do this thing called Ranger Rendezvous where everybody comes together and everybody competes. And, um, sort of my, yeah, it's where all three of the Ranger battalions get together or yep. four. If you include the training yep. fellows down, down and yeah, they, yeah. And I'm not sure if they came to these or not at that time, but, uh, and they compete, you guys have like a series of competitions yeah. and you guys compete yeah and right. in grappling obviously you do it singly it's not a team thing uh and was it just grappling or did you guys actually fight we it was just it was no striking oh because i was seen, no striking i've seen photos no. where they're no, like no. wearing the ufc there's, gloves there's boxing smokers and things that get done too okay but uh no in this in this case it wasn't it wasn't striking because they didn't want to deadline the whole unit to you right. know for whatever and uh and that year, um, which seems like a long, long time ago, I guess it'd be 1999 now, um, 1999, I guess, uh, I, I got to, I, I was fourth. So, uh, you know, if you look at it, of the dudes that did it, there was probably, you know, 150 of us out of the 20, you know, two asterisk, asterisk, however many Rangers there are at that time, which we, you know, I guess we don't need to talk about on thing. But, uh, but um, you know, but the dudes, you know, but there was this this crazy you know, all American wrestler kid who learned how to grapple and two dudes out of the unit that, you know, had come down and learned from Ho- Hoist himself as he was running around and right. They and, were uh, for, they were former battalion guys. Yep. And yep. they were, and they were, they were in there. And then, then little, little Rick showed himself up and the did, chemo shows yeah, up, shows up. Yeah. Which was like a confusion moment, even going through the things like what, who is that guy? So, um, so that was good, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't call it any crazy claim to fame other than, other than it gave me a way to differentiate myself right. from, you know, from in, in a place where, where, you know, a, a support guy, you know, it, which you know, I guess uh, Roger, everyone's a ranger, but I was a commensurate support guy and ha- was my entire career. And I pride myself on that. Right. It, it was never, it was about never letting the people down around you. Um, and so that ended up, you know, you ended up 
this thing about Natick came up and, and I didn't know what it was. And, um, at the time though, my wife was from Boston and, uh, and, uh, I'm, you know, literally moved up there sight unseen, bought a place sight unseen, used my ETS move. And all of a sudden, so you got out six days later, you were at Natick. I was a project officer at, at Natick, Massachusetts. I walked in, this guy looked at me and said, come with me. And I walked down the hall. Do me a favor and back up for yep. everybody that doesn't know what Natick is and explain what Natick is. And then also explain like how that opportunity even hit your radar screen when, right before you got out. The, uh, uh well, Natick is interesting. Natick is, uh, it's a, it's a, it's an assortment of development shops that are joint across the board, um, all located up in Natick, Massachusetts at the soldier system. It's had 17 names since I was in soldier systems lab, the, whatever the grand name of the day is that goes after funding to keep it open. But, uh, but it's a bunch of civilians and then, and then, uh, um, a contingent of active duty people, um, with a bunch of different laboratories and different, uh, in, uh, there are different program managers and different things up there. So, the claim to fame of Natick has always been um, all the way back to the mid '50s, when I think when it was opened. Everything from animal testing to um, all the food and your MREs comes out of there. It always had clothing. It had the cold chambers up in there uh, as well. And it was there's actually quite a bit of lineage to what the place is. Um, like anything, it's the U.S. government, and so and its acquisition side, U.S. government. So it's uh, you know it's. Uh, bureaucracy laden. It's a kind of crazy place, but I, in truth, I owe it everything. Um, because you know, I, I literally walked in and they walked me down to this shop and they sat me down and said, Hey, you're a ranger. And literally my hair hadn't even grown in yet. Right. And I'm like, I, I, I was, it sounded even weird to say as all of you guys have transitioned. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and, uh, they handed me this box with all these wires sticking out of it and like a half cut in half helmet. And they said, you're the, we have a thing called the modular integrated communications helmet program. You're now the uh, project officer here, take that and go do this. And then they walked out and I had this box of wires and things sitting in front of me. Mm. And I literally, this, it became quiet and I was kind of looking around. <laughs> yeah. Natick. And I'm like, Oh, it's oh. a love hate relationship. I, I like to say they have some of the smartest dumb people I've ever met in my entire life there. They, they have it's really it, it's a it's they provide like great value on some levels and in some levels i'm like what kind of crack what flavor of crack did you smoke today like you know like anything in life it all comes down to the person right and there's some amazing people and mm -hmm. there's um some folks that are kind of riding that yeah, completely wave agree. too you know yeah. and so um but what it taught me was in many times, I would deal with fairly unmotivated. You know, I mean, let's let's face it: the acquisition system is b broken mm -hmm. seventeen ways to Sunday. Oh, t you know, completely agree. Yeah. And and uh, so when you work inside of that, it is really hard to move the needle. And mm -hmm. it just so happened that you know I came into this shop not very long before nine eleven, which I was really mad at myself because I didn't realize we were going to have the longest war of our thing. Also, I would have mm -hmm. probably stuck around. You would have stayed in the um, stayed, you know, stayed somewhere. And, um, but what it did was it gave us carte blanche. We had, uh, we had a very small team of people there, some really special folks. Uh, Chris Palmer, Johnny LaPlume was there with me at the time. Um, Fred Chan was a PM shop guy. This guy named George Schulteis was a helmet guy. Um, 
there were just some really cool folks uh, up there at the time, and we had we had not an open checkbook, but we had a lot of free reign to mm. get it through a lot of bureaucracy fast because the teams were deploying, and we ended up really developing across a very small group of people with amazing industry partners and a incredible user input, which is where it all really comes from is obviously the field. Right. Um, but being able to package that, we were able to touch everything. I mean, literally today, the things that are worn, the, the great, great grand baby of, of all that stuff happened out of that very small shop over a three or four year period. Everything from load carriage to armor to, you know, armor, uh, non, non-destructive testing. Um, you know, I got, I Scott, I sketched the first, um, you know, I sketched the first, uh, uh, shroud to ever go on a helmet on a napkin and did it with Nerodos. Yeah. I was just going to say the Nerodos you know? shroud was um, huge back in the day. You know, Johnny LaPlume and I, Johnny did it on the load carriage side and I did it on the apparel side. We invented Ranger Green and literally invented the Pantone in the colorway. Because we were doing a uh, a uniform, I was doing a project for the unit, and he and I were both former Rangers, and we just thought it was really funny that they would wear something called Ranger Green on all of their people. Awesome. And, and <laughs> so he was he was did he did Imbav right? He did. Yeah. He he was uh, along with um, um, along with uh, um, Rich Landry up there. They did the first uh, cutaway armor systems ever. Ever, ever fielded um before Sears, the very oh, first oh yep. no you know you're, you're right um, Fisby. yep Fisby. Fisby. Yep. and yep. uh and that so what we had was we had real world problems mm-hmm. it was you know and you could make a difference you know i got to to put that helmet on everybody and then i got to transition it to the the larger services and see it go there and 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 i'm sitting here today um, because I, I got to field a call out of fifth special forces when they were over, uh, fighting the Northern Alliance and, and they had a real problem with their environmental kit and I got to go forward and it was lucky enough to be the project officer to do, um, to, well, invented kind of the protective combat uniform as a need and then had an IPT of really amazing cold weather people and spent the next six months doing PCU block zero. Um, and of course today they're on block two mods into block three. And so, you know, all those pieces, everything, you know, of that 10 years. Dive into detail on that. Cause that was, that's a substantial, I mean, all the programs you worked on, like blow my hair back. Cause like I was fielding all of this stuff as like when, you know, you were over there working at Natick and I was on active duty and I was actually mm-hmm. like, this was trickling down, you know, through basically through, I had really great friends at the force recon community. A lot of them are like MARSOC, you know, debt one plank holders. And so you know, one of those guys was like one of my best friends. And so like all the stuff. And I think John LaPlume was like, yep. he was liaising with yep. that one for a yep. while. And so like all of the, like the Mitch helmet, yep. the PCU, yep. the, you know, he the pulled Eagle me in, Lab, like all that me stuff. He me in to do that with that one. Yeah. All um, that stuff trickled down. And so like, you know, I'd go across the street to like drink beer with my buddy on the weekends. And he'd be like, dude, check out this new gear. And I'd be like, oh. can you get me some of that? And oh, it was like, flowing. Yep. It was, yep. we were we were flowing stuff in there. And what's funny, which and, people were looking at me like I was a fucking alien. Cause I was showing up in an infantry battalion with like PCU on and people were like, what are you wearing? And I'm like, yeah, this is the new shit. Oh yeah. And like, yeah. and yeah. I got to put that into I peak yeah. on the Marine Corps side. Mm-hmm. That was fun. Um, no, it was, but what's interesting, really fascinating is so Johnny 
was the first one ever did. So he did all the workup and everything. And then as an acquisition civilian, he deployed under arms with debt one into theater, right? Yeah. Um, into theater as an acquisition civilian attached active manifest and uh, under arms. And so he was the first one to ever do it. And right. Right. But he wasn't, he's just not an average Joe civilian. He's also a third bat ranger who jumped he, into Panama. He was, like, and he was, he had done some really interesting things. Yeah. Uh, around that and he deserved and he was there as active support on a bunch of fronts but yeah. and so he got back and um and i saw my opportunity he had a really amazing friend uh former sergeant major daryl thies mm-hmm. um command sergeant major daryl thies amazing guy yep. and uh um he was down at uh, third bat at the time and had been up in the shop um in the 75th is is our requirements sort of lies on there for a long time and uh so all of a sudden he had Bico down at 375 and all of a sudden he's like, well, he goes, Rick, you want to go? And I did full workup with, with Bico 375 as a, as an acquisition civilian mm-hmm. and then deployed under arms to both Iraq and Afghanistan for that rotation. Um, and I uh, got to attach to three different SF units, um, you know, two national assets, um, uh, you know, obviously work in and around the Rangers was amazing, um, a SEAL team. And so what for me it did, and then, of course, some other letter stuff. What for me it did is almost a voyeur, almost. I was there looking and clocking their equipment, which was really important. I took a lot of data back from that. But more importantly, I got to really watch how joint operations were baking at the time. Because mm-hmm. my time, you know, I got out, at, you know, three years before, and it wasn't like that. You still did, you know, just some real kind of canned stuff. And right. and it really evolved um, from, you know, us doing the first ever network-centric planning phase, uh, which, you know, before all of everything kicked off, with the first time that we had like 12 computers with a, with a cord between them, thinking we were, you know, hot shazzed all the right. way, right. All, you know, all the way through to, to you know, what, what you know, warfare is, has become today. And that's, so that was really interesting for me and a really special opportunity um, uh, to go see all that uh, and then come back and then pour that back into the development. So it, it was, those 10 years were crazy. They were, they were, they shouldn't be a job, a government acquisition job shouldn't be crazy. But mm-hmm. for us it was, cause it was really entrepreneurial. We had really unique problems that only certain people had in very small numbers that don't fit in MOQ, don't transition well to the rest of the world. And we had to find ways to incentivize business to build these things for us. And that wasn't easy. And, no. and it was fascinating. It was, I loved it. And so, so literally by the end of that time, I, you know, I had this real itch. I'm like, you know, I got a checkbook. I'm running the team now. And everyone just kisses your ass when you got the checkbook. Right. You can do no, you can do no wrong mm-hmm. walking around the industry. It is disgusting yeah, when you got that going dinners. on, right? Yeah. And I really want to know whether I was just full of shit or not. I'm like, because everyone's going to tell me everything I want to hear right. when, I'm, when, when I'm when I'm sitting in that seat. And uh, I got this crazy call from Smith Optics from uh, the president Ned Post at the time, who was just this amazing guy, and he was, happens to be the uncle of. Um, of uh you know bill jarvis who was uh mm-hmm. you know who was you know a senior chief uh and and was my worked with me for like four years in the, in the shop and just a really great guy and and uh they offered me a job and 
three weeks later, so I left 18 years of combined service, right, uh, which which probably today would be a partially retirement that would be nice to have. And um, three weeks later, I lived in Sun Valley, Idaho. Again, bought a place sight unseen, moved directly over, and now I'm in industry. And I'm doing, I'm building an eye an eyewear division that was a satellite brand, which was unique and, and uh, had a bunch of challenges, but got to build that with a really neat team, got to build a great team to include yourself, got, yeah. to, got to be part of that really. Yeah, we were talking about that earlier today and still, like I said earlier, like still to this day, like one of the the best gig I've ever, like best consulting yeah. gig I've ever had. Like amazing. I, I always say if you're in a business where if you're asked to do something and then the president of the business pays for your DUI because he thinks he put you in that scenario, I always think, wow, that's a family, right? <laughs> right? Like, that's that's right. some shit. Like, I was want to, at least once the, I have this whole bucket list. I wanted to have, you know, a full-grown tiger at a party. Got to do that last year um, for to, to support endangered species, so that's good. And, you know, and there's there's just this whole bucket list of stuff. And one of those, someday I'm going to cover some cat's DUI. I'm like, oh, that was a good party, and you drove them home. Sorry, man. Yeah, it's my bad. Not cool. We don't support this. You slap on the wrist. You know, be responsible. But, you know, can't take money out of your pocket. Right, I'm going to cover the costs on that. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You want to get to that squirrely point in your career where nobody can really do anything about it when you start getting kind of eccentric like that, which is fun. Yeah, I mean, that was the first exposure that I've ever had to the outdoor space. And... Just working there was like, I mean, the environment there like was great. Like coming into a, you know, a a, a culture where they've been in Idaho since what the '60s. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. right on the base of the mountain. Hey, hey, look, you know, to, into all to anybody who is who is listening to the Lone Element podcast from from the Shire. From from the Vale, you know, you know, even Justin, you know, Vince Bearshi, all those wonderful people up there. Fuck you. Right. You live in the most beautiful place in the world. And to look out my window and poach, you know, three thousand vertical feet at lunch oh, man. of of you know, of snow and then be back there working was was magical. Well, and that's what I loved about it because the corporate culture there, like the two hours of free time during the day, like you couldn't miss meetings, but like show up when you want and like stay as late as you want. Like get your, get your time in, hit your wickets, but like here's your two hours of free time. And if you want to go take an extended lunch to hit the mountain, or if you want to go, you know, to ski and get a few runs in, or if you want to go mountain biking and when the weather's good, like you can do that. And they like had a mountain biking, like they had like mountain bike stands in the basement and like an area where you could like wax your skis and like a dog friendly thing. And like, Oh, it was incredible. I you, mean, the environment, the culture there and the environment there was like, it was amazing. Like, you And you were given a wellness stipend right. uh, once a year that you could spend on anything that was made wellness for you, like physical fitness stuff or a bike or anything. Mm-hmm. But it also happened to equal exactly the amount of a season pass on Baldy. Yeah, funny how that Yeah, it was, it was a magical Weird. number that just yeah. really, really <laughs> kind of tracked that. And so, it. Uh, no, I learned a lot about uh, sort of people up there. And I learned mm-hmm. a lot about what was interesting. And what the biggest thing for me was, is I left Boston or I left, left Natick. Right. I was 30, uh, 38, 39 years old now. Mm-hmm. And I was old. I felt old. I felt, yeah. I ached. I was overweight. Mm-hmm. I was, you know, there were just all these things. 
and I got up into the valley, and there were these like seventy-five-year-old dudes skate skiing like up the hill, right? Up, like like yeah. like it was cool, yep. you know. And 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 I was like, holy crap, I'm young, I got yeah. time. We let's get after this. Yeah. And it it changed my entire perspective of how to look at life. Now all of a sudden, there's so much to do. There's just there's just not enough time to get it done. So just get after it, you yeah. know. Um, and I really appreciate that uh, uh, about that. It's yeah. really a big deal. So yeah, it was a, it was an amazing place to work. Being a part of your team was absolutely awesome. Which kind of like segues. Well, it's a little ahead of the segue of like how we met. Which we met officially at like because uh, I was runner. I was like talking. I had just finished. I just wrapped up my deployment time. So you caught me. Oh yeah. Fresh. You were a goddamn angry ginger. Oh, yeah. I mean, sometimes yeah. still am, but the, yeah. <laughs> that hasn't changed too much. But the but fresh off of like my last deployment was August of 2009 or no, I'm sorry, 2010. 2010 was mm-hmm. August. And then you and I uh I can't remember like I think was you it had, Shot Show? No. Was it? Where was nope. it? We met at TTPOA in <laughs> down in Texas. Like Laplume brought me down there. Um and we went down there and and uh, we met, um, yeah, TTPOA 2011, which was in May, because I remember when I was, it was in Dallas. Yep. And I was at the hotel, I think the second night, and we, I was laying in bed, it was 2 a.m., and I got a call on my cell phone that was pound, the number was pound zero one two three four five six seventy nine, which is an encrypted satellite phone because I've had those calls before. <laughs> and one of my buddies that was still working one of the contracted programs for Alphabet Soup um, got a hold of me at like 2 a.m. and was like, hey, what's up, man? And I was like, are you good? And he's like, yeah, I'm good. And he's like, I want to tell you something awesome. And I was like, yeah. And he goes, we got him. And I was like, got who? And he goes, him. And I was like, him, him. And he goes, yeah, him, him. And I was like, God isn't, got him as in called him or got him as in ca- caught him or got him as in killed him. And he goes, Oh, we killed the fuck out of him. And I was like, awesome. And he goes, yeah, it's going to hit the news today, tonight. So pay attention. Act surprised. Yeah. Act, act surprised. <laughs> and so I got off the phone and that's how I remember like that so vividly because oh, it was the same time, but we, so yeah, we you were running the Smith booth, which mm-hmm. uh, cracks me up because it was just you, mm-hmm. like nobody else in the team was there, and we just hit it off. And I remember we went out that night and we had drinks, and you and I just like clicked and had a fun time and got completely shit faced, and it was a it was a it was a really good. Oh, time. that was a hoot! I remember that, that was a pub crawl night. Yeah. Oh that yeah. We did that night. Oh, oh yeah. We we a, we burned it down. That was super fun. Yeah. Me and you and the plume like got it was dumb. Yeah. We, we got, got dumb. We got really. Yeah. Rowdy. And so then, um, I think you asked me like what was going on and I had no fucking clue. I was like, I, I don't know. I just transitioned out of <laughs> operating. So I have no idea what I'm doing. And, and then I think you called me six months later and you were like, or we stayed in touch and we talked intermittently. And then you were like, Hey, I just took over this deal at Smith and I could use a consultant come yep. you've got a good tactical background come yep. help us and so i 
happily joined the team. And I think we had, we had, we had Julie, we had Mikey and we had Chris and mm-hmm. we had me and Jojo and Jojo. God, yep. I fucking missed that dude. Yep. You want to yep. talk and about then, him? and Fucking then lab rat, dude. And that guy's awesome. Jojo's uh, son, Will McNeil, right, Will. down at down yep. at the manufacturing facility yep. at the time, mm-hmm. at least in the first, and that was that was the the initial team. And we were, you know, it was it was it taught me a lot, you know, on a bunch of fronts about uh, you know we had a I had a six I think a sixteen thousand dollar annual marketing budget, I think on, on my when I first took that thing over, and you know I had to go up against Oakley. Well, and, I, I tell people this story all the time and they look at me like I had a di- like I have a dick growing out of my head because I'm like, yeah, I went to work for Rick Elder at Smith and we had like a four or five person business unit. And when he took over, the division had done like 850K. And when we left two years later, we had a $11 million a year. It was, it was a good, yeah, it was, it was a quite a ramp. And, uh, and, you know, and I give a lot of props to Eric Poston and, and all the Oakley crew, because I had the opportunity to field Oakley's to all of SoCom right. and, and learn a lot about eyewear. And really, more importantly, learn about how to service customers in eyewear. Yeah. And, 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 and Oakley's still doing a great job. Oh, oh, no, oh hands down, yeah. hands down. And uh, and so it was, but, you know, Oakley's a juggernaut. Even, right. you know, it can in, so I got 16 grand. We're like, okay. We oh, that go. was a total David and Goliath versus oh, Goliath. We had to go put a dent in these guys. Yeah. And, uh. And, uh, and know, we did, and, and, we did, and, and we did, I mean, we yeah. didn't buy any, we didn't destabilize Luxottica or Mm-mm. anything by any stretch, but, but it held its own, a lot of new styles, they penetrated. Right. And what was really important at the time is I had pulled in the protocols that I had written for the armor program into that world which was brilliant you know i remember when you briefed this i was like holy shit this yeah is it was for that period of time and I, maybe it's still the same and i don't know i'm sure it is i apologize uh mikey torres if if, if it is or isn't but uh it was the most uh it was the tightest quality assurance around a piece of protective eyewear in the world in that window right hands you, down we started serializing every single sheet every lens yeah all the way through and it was controlled all the way back to the batch uh up to the batch of the uh um polymers that went into making it and that was stored and you could sort it for up to four years all the way back and we held all the samples we had an iso certified test uh system or a test lab inside that we got fully certified and we were the government's first ever only perfect audit that was ever given for eyewear. Um, and that was also our international side, too, because right. our, our lenses would come in from Taiwan, as everybody's did at that time. And so I was proud of that. And, and that was very process-driven. So you got to build a brand, but you also got to have your head back in the process. Right. So every every eye shield was like a sap plate, essentially. Yeah. Like body armor. Yep. 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 Absolutely. Yeah. And uh and uh, it was it it was special. It was a special time, you know. Uh, uh, I think a lot of you know. I like to look back at the teams because it's always the teams. Yeah. Right. Look at the teams, and it's just like it's like watching your favorite team in football or anything. It's you got the years and you get the team together, and mm-hmm. that was a good team. Oh, it was, it was a, a special. Team. It was a special time. You yeah. Know? Um, yeah. You Justin know, and, and Julie and Chris and Mikey and myself and yeah, Joe Crazy Jojo, Jojo just doing awesome stuff on that side. And then of course a lot of props to to Ned and. Uh, 
and uh, Ron, our, our CFO at the time, who supported this weird little room up front. Oh, they were great. They were super supportive. Doing doing our thing. So, mm-hmm. um, so that was great. Uh, great. And then uh, um, I got a got a call and a random question was asked, hey, if you're going to build a clothing company f- around special operations, uh, so servicing special operations, how would you do it? And, you know, I'd written a concept for that in 2003 um, uh, that really surrounded what I'd learned from working with all the outdoor companies in those programs. And I told them, well, it's easy. Don't make a tactical company. Uh, not for outdoor gear, not for outdoor clothing. And, um, you know, uh, I was, you know, a little later, I was, you know, somebody called me and had me go on a hike for an interview. And before you know it, I was um, 5'11", had acquired Beyond Clothing. And um, and I took that over in, in uh, October of 2012 um, and uh, walked in and it was, you know, it was, it was a hot mess. It was a hot mess on oh, so many levels. You you know what? It sounds horrible for me to say that. You describe it because you got to come see it. Tell me. Oh, yeah. Uh, so I remember you called me and you told me what was going on. You told me you were transitioning out of Smith, which I stayed on at Smith. For a while after, right? Like another like another year. Let me think. When did you when did you depart? It was uh, it was um, I left. Uh, September 2012. Yeah, I stayed on until 2000, like first second quarter of 13. Mm-hmm. Yep. I yeah. stayed on. I stayed on for like another year. The guy that replaced you was a total dick, and like he's not my one of my favorite humans in the in the galaxy. He'll rename remain nameless, but he's a not a great human. If he's listening to this, go fuck yourself. Um, he was he he was not a great human. Um. Mm-hmm. And he saw no value in what I did, even though I gave him a phenomenal like brief on like, here's what I've accomplished while I was here, which at that time he'd been there for 15 minutes and it was like 10 times more than he'd accomplished since he was there in 15 minutes. But ladies and gentlemen, none of the opinions expressed on the Lonoma podcast <laughs> I reflect know. Orion design no. group in any way. Nope. Like, the characters are fictitious. No. Will not be. No, 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 we don't, we don't give a fuck about that. Oh, all right. We don't no. care about that. Sorry. Um, Sorry. Yeah, no, as as my good friend Andy Stump says, this is the internet. Like, just <laughs> say what you want. So we, we stick by that. He sets a good example, so we we follow it. Yeah, he's awesome. Um, So the, yeah, he canceled my contract, but like, I'm not happy about that because I, I loved that brand. I still love that brand. I, I wear their, I still wear their stuff. I still wear Smith glasses. Like, I, oh. that brand is still like, it's in my soul. Um, nope. it was, it was a really special time. And then of course what happened to it was the same thing that happened to Oakley. It got absorbed as a brand mm-hmm. over the next few years and broken apart and is not, does not exist in the way that it did for its first 30 years. And so right. that's, um, it's always sad and it's really interesting, really interesting, uh, note whenever you're kind of going into a corporate structure like that to look and go, Hey, we'll do the efficiency, you know, the efficiency knobs get in there and, right. and, can they kill the soul of something? Yeah. You know, and, uh, they can, they, yeah. they absolutely can, you know, it's, For sure. it, it might make sense on paper, but that special sauce that makes it work. Mm-hmm. If you don't have someone that appreciates that, um, you know, if it's just an audit that drives everything, then you can't, uh, it's really hard to, to support that, yeah. you know? So, um, yeah. yeah. So, so I remember you called me and you're like, Hey, I got this opportunity and like, I'm taking it. I was like, great. And they're like, yeah, so we're going to do our first show at Outdoor Summer Outdoor Retailer. And I was like, oh, cool. I'm super excited. And you kind of gave me the, 
the brief <laughs> on what it was. And I remember showing up to outdoor retailer and looking at this monstrosity booth where there was like this plywood giant eight armed, eight armed, eight legged. I mean, there's a Hydra thing, that person there. We called him Ocho in the booth. And he was in the center of the booth. And then I remember like your guys' color scheme that year was like pastel colors. And I think like you were whatever. It was not our color scheme. That was, oh my God. It was, it, I don't yeah, know. I think you guys got, you guys I'll, got in bed with like a bad firm that advised you poorly. No, not on the product. The product okay. all came straight from, from uh, the, the founder that I had taken over from oh, on that side. And so he chose but, poorly. But then uh, of course I got in and, and I learned my first lesson about agencies and marketing yeah. agencies. Mm-hmm. And uh, which is why we, we do the bulk of our work inside here it uh, and I try to build basically an, an internal agency in every business unit that I go into now because right. it's it uh I spent more money to get the weirdest stuff out of those pipelines and of course these places had great beautiful offices and all these brands they'd worked for and right. and uh you know I came from you know having tiny little budgets and going up against the mm-hmm. the, the masters yeah and uh and I thought wow what a waste of money. So I'm, so I'll never forget. I'm sitting there in that first OR. I don't have one, one fucking product I can sell. Well, here's not- a, the other aspect too, that I think is important to address is that from a, from a branding standpoint, like no one is going to represent your brand DNA better no. than you. No. So why the fuck would you yeah. outsource to an agency that, that comes in and they don't even understand yeah. They don't understand your brand position. They don't. Under, they have had zero time within the brand, and you're like, "Hey, come and tell us what yeah. you think we should be like." And we'll, yeah. like, I I've never understood that whole thought process where you want to pay hundreds of thousands of dollars to an outside firm that's going to come in and tell you what they think your brand should be and taste like and look like and smell like and what your brand's position should look like when they've spent literally no time inside your brand. Well, like, you're building a tribe. And, yeah. you know, you're not building a part-time paid for by the hour tribe. Right. Right. That's not the right. way that is. So, I mean, there are scenarios where it makes sense to go outside. You know, if you're having a big production done uh, on the video side or like, um, like our friends down at Black Rifle, they've built, they really built, uh, we were talking about earlier, really built a, um, a media company that, that, that has, you know, really good, a really good product. And, Amazing. you know, yeah. and so, um, you know, as we looked at that, I'll never forget sitting there. And there's this uh, gentleman who's a friend of mine who uh, who runs a Soldier Systems Daily. Um, Mr. Graves. Yep, Eric Graves, who I'd known in uniform and out. And he walked up and he started he started this interview with me because he was all excited because mm-hmm. hey, I'm starting this thing. And he and I'll never forget the write up. The first line was, "It's funny, I've never sat at a trade show with a brand and discussed nothing." That was actually there, but what would be there someday the entire time. <laughs> and I'm like, oh, I'm like, oh my God, what frauds we are sitting here right now. And it was, uh, it was crazy. And, um, you created a mass amount of confusion amongst people. And I remember like hearing guys talk about it and they're like, what the fuck are they doing over there? Like, we don't know what is going on over there, but they, they can probably get a little of that they, today. Like, oh, well, it's and, still yeah. It's still know, walk around the floor today. You probably saw still, a little of that look on our faces as yeah. It's the teams still, are running everywhere. It still floats around a little bit, but I think like you took your concept and honed it into a wonderful, 
wonderfully sharp blade that it is today. So I, I'm really proud of the team. They've they've done some neat things, and and we're we I mean, are we've, we've gone from pastel blue to confessionals. Yeah, so. yeah. No, it it yeah. uh, it you know a couple things. I love space. I love development and designing spaces, and I think yep. that that a, a well designed and, and aspirational space helps inform an aspirational team and a design led space helps really build to use cliche terms, a design led culture. And, and, uh, beyond is, uh, you know, we've, we've, you know, and again, you know, it's been crazy. It was hell. The first two years, it was just hell. It was a special, you know, oh, yeah, Dante you. I seventh. You guys, yeah. Watch you guys struggle. Like seventh level of, yeah. of hell. And then, uh, and then it started to click and it took a lot. And then, you know, seven years later, you know, we're, we're, we're about to enjoy our, the, the 21st consecutive quarter of meeting or exceeding our plan. And, uh, you know, over five years now, and that's for a young startup. It is what it is. And we've just really launched our commercial and direct consumer facing side of things. I mean, for a startup, like, I think you're being your usual, like humble self, but the, to have 21 consecutive quarters of profitability, that's for a startup had a really interesting I wouldn't say rough launch but like oh I'd say rough would you say rough oh it was horrible. would you say it brutal was, it was brutal okay yeah, yeah so you guys have had horrible. a you had a guys had a brutal I was being I was trying to oh no yeah that pig you can't put enough lipstick on it was it was those were a hard two years and the people that were there it was with me, it was ugly out of the gate like that first or know, I was like what in the fuck is going on here I mean I remember giving you know giving a young shiny Carlos Marino a bag a bag of <laughs> like custom samples so like I'm not even sure if the arms were the same length mm-hmm. on them I don't know was this bag of stuff I'm like go sell this go sell this and he's like sell what he just looked at me with this perfect like child's honesty on his face and I'm like mm-hmm. figure it out like this. <laughs> and, and he took off and sure as shit you know we we started getting orders and and um, refining our game and, and today in earnest, in truth, the capability we built, where we beyond is the best, uh, most capable, and the fastest rapid development shop in the United States of America, hands yeah. down. Yeah, so definitely, definitely talk about your capabilities because they're unique, and I think, I think that it's it needs to be talked about because you guys are doing things that don't they don't exist. Like, I mean, like let's. Let's talk about like the big, the stitched in the state stuff. Cause that was mm-hmm. super, I think that's substantial and it was super important to me from, mm-hmm. from a U.S. manufacturing standpoint of like how you guys harnessed and kind of brought back in a commercial aspect, commercially made, you, you know, manufactured in the U.S., you know, technical apparel, oh, which is a big, huge deal it, considering it, everybody has been offshore for how long? Oh, 80s, mid 80s. Yeah. So for... Jesus, 40 years, mm. 40 years, we've had the technical apparel game, like being manufactured offshore and you brought back. Yeah. I, I mean, I think, you know, first off the state of affairs of the U S industrial base for apparel is failing. It is almost completely agree. And it is almost entirely failed. And, right. and, and the, the reason and it's funny because, you know, people pound their hands and, you know, America, and they get after it, and I'm like, mm-hmm. well, it's, America is not the place you build the best clothing in the world today um, by a long stretch. And um, But 
because the capability has been depleted so for so well, long. Well, and yeah, and the, there's capital. There's there's capital goods. There's machinery that is just mm-hmm. really unique that you can only find overseas. But more importantly, we don't raise people here to be master sewers. There's no pipe for that. All of if you go around and look at all the master sewers left mm-hmm. in the United States, the the one area that you really can't automate. It doesn't work that way. Um, you know, uh, it, it, you know, they're all, most of them have a foreign lineage for right. the most part. They're not, they're not American born and there's no, there's no pipe. There's no kids growing up that want to, want to, you know, want to go be, a, 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 you know, a master artisan behind a, a sewing machine. And so that's hard. So you find those folks and you've got now a single source for almost every type of supply chain good fabrics, zippers, this, that. you're down to a single source mm-hmm. for most cases. There's no market forces there then. You can't, there's no competition. And so, you know, I used to always say the cost of doing something in America, clothing in America or soft goods was 100%. If you just double the price, that's what it would cost to do it in America. But now it's more like 1.5 is, is what it's really turned into. And we will get to the point where it is fully destabilized because it's, it's all subsidized by the government the government from a margin standpoint is a race to the bottom. They don't, the government, and I'm not picking on them. It is not their job to worry about the industrial base. Although it's on the slide that they should, but there is no training that goes out there and says, Oh my gosh. Well, I would argue that if they don't pay the fuck attention, they're going to lose their supply chain. And then the barium amendment is going to be completely useless because they're not going to have a way to source and manufacture the things that they need for the troops. It was, you know, if I had stayed in, um, if I had stayed in, in government service, my plan was to, um, they had a program over at Harvard and I was going to go, um, get a PhD in economics was my mm-hmm. goal. And, um, uh, and I was going to rewrite the Barry amendment. That was what was going to be my sort of claim to fame. And then mm-hmm. I was going to limp off to Naval War College and be a tactics in like ancient studies professor or something you get someplace where they would let me do some shit that i totally wasn't qualified to Mm -hmm. do but it would do a good job of it Mm because i would have a passion for it but my but the concept was always for me warm industrial base um was really always intended to keep an eye on both china and russia um but it was never intended for central and south america and so expansion of the berry amendment into both canada and central america um, to make concentric rings and allow for production does two things. One bolsters those economies, strengthens them, does some good things there, keeps it close to home personally, and also forms a bit of a defense in, in a defense in uh, in uh, depth buffer in and around that because we were just weren't worried about going to war with Nicaragua. That wasn't yeah. that wasn't going to be the thing. Um, and today, you know, the economies in the U.S. are changing, and Americans and um, sure I'm talking to a lot of Americans that, that, that are listening to this are not willing to pay for American made apparel. I have seven years now of understanding and trying to make that work. And yeah, there's a few out there. There's a few purists and they're like, I want a piece, but then everything else gets ground out of you know, all these other places. You know, we, so I have a, I, I we do all of our development in-house full bomb text, anything we make anywhere in the world, we make here first. We actually export that to both our domestic shops and our non-domestic shops. Um, today, we're all trade compliant on all of our products coming in so that we don't build in China and we're gonna continue not to do that. Um, 
and, but uh, but there's some really wonderful factories and capabilities over in Taiwan, Bangladesh, um, Cambodia is starting to come up, and we're over there. Our teams are checking those facilities really, uh, really thoroughly to make sure that it that is um, uh, responsible. You know, you know, my big rules, you know, no kids, no, you know, things, you know, we, we want to support good, clean shops and we're a really small team and small brand. So we can do that. It's mm -hmm. not like I have to worry about this massive global supply chain. Right. Um, but, uh, what's really fun is now I can develop overseas, bring stuff over, um, have teams use that, whether it be mission or science teams. And then I can convert that into berry compliant product through either development with the mills here um, or just subbing some fabrics in. But I can do that really quickly because I've done all the pattern work and all that in-house. I'm not counting on somebody outside right. to do that development. That also then allows us to do really rapid development and specialty projects in-house um, in a way that's that's really special. I mean, every day something's getting made here. Right. And awesome. when you were giving your team brief earlier, like one of the things that I thought was amazing and like resonated with me is like when you were talking about larger companies that don't have one sewing machine underneath their roof. That's right. Yeah, and here you guys have a full like cut floor. You have a full rapid prototyping capability. There's several sewers and sewing machines under this roof. And I think that's substantial. And I think from, you know, me going to design school and like being in the industry, as long as I have, like, it's the first thing that I always look at. Like I, I'm not going to lie. And Tom Davin, if you're listening to this, you're great. But when I first walked into 511 and I saw that there was like no sewing machines and no rapid prototyping capability, highly disappointed. I was highly disappointed. Yeah. I mean, when you, I, I think from, a design standpoint, like we were talking about with, you know, with what we we're kind of in correlation with the, the, you know, the marketing and the branding aspect. Like if you're not touching, tasting, you know, and sinking your fingers into what you're creating for your end user under your roof, you're failing. Like if you're outsourcing everything, if you're just having people whip up some beautiful artwork on Photoshop and Illustrator and send a tech pack off to get prototyped overseas, and then sent back and you're like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Go ahead and push the production budget and all that. You're failing, in well, my opinion. Well, like, there, there is a difference, though. There is one difference, and, I gotta, and I'll just, you know, just call it out, is um, talking about my parent company um, in 5.11. And I owe it a lot because mm -hmm. Beyond couldn't exist, uh, wouldn't exist today without 5.11. Right. If 5.11 gives the working capital, allowed me to chew on this thing and learn what I was doing, because um, mm -hmm. I didn't, I'd never run a clothing company before. I didn't know what right. I was doing. I can't believe they, they even let me do it. Yeah. It's crazy. So, um, but what's interesting about it is they, of course, unlike many of these other companies, they have 60 employees in Hong Kong, full-time employees in a shop over there. So as a Oh, there's full-time employees in Hong Kong. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I did like not know that. Like 60 yeah. of them. Yeah. And so right. as a, as a global brand there, it's not like they're just pitching it off into some, some Yeah. I thought they were zone. outsourcing um, everything. It, yeah. It's uh it is uh you know, there, there's, you know, that's, you know, an interesting business model and it's, it's a really cool. We, I want to do something different. I don't want to be big. That was, that was, mm -hmm. you know, it was, I always like to say, I really like sub $100 million brands because mm -hmm. they can, again, you can kind of run like a family a little bit and, uh, yeah, and you can turn on a dime development wise. Well, and what's unique about it is, is we do really premium products. Mm -hmm. I mean, we do, we don't scrimp on any of our fabrics, any of our trims. They are really expensive and really high end. And you can do that when you're niche. 
you yeah. can't be the biggest in niche at the same time. Um, and so, you know, we want to be that professionals, professional, uh, you know, gear rating environment. We've got, we've got everyone from scientists, we've got, or we've got dog teams that are doing 1400 mile mushes that we're supporting, you know, this, this, uh, spring to support, uh, um, polar bear habitat, um, uh, surveys and, uh, environmental shift right. stuff going up there in Alaska to, um, you know, we've got Nat Geo, uh, filmographers that are, you know, all over the world, PhD folks in our kit. And then of course we have, um, frankly, some of the greatest special operators in the world running around and, and, uh, you know, of course in every place where people are trading paint mm-hmm. on the globe, there's a little bit of beyond there. And right. it made it really easy for us because we're not a lethality brand. We're a survival brand. All I cared about now, I mean, it would be different if tomorrow I had a body armor brand or if I was running a, a firearms brand. Of course, I would change that. But here, it fit really well in this concept of everyone can get behind just bringing people home, making them, you know, getting stoked about what that is. And for the most part, the changes between, um, you know, uh, you know, science mission, professional, outdoor, whatever you want to use, um, are pretty much a colorway. Um, and now I can bring these new techs in, this new technologies in that we don't have anything like that in the U.S. And we can test it, we can use it, we can see how that stuff works, and then we can really push the industrial base here through government man tech dollars and, and other things to try to build those up and, and, and hopefully reinvigorate pieces of of uh pieces of this industry mm-hmm. to kind of hold it uh in place is sort of the last holdouts of 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 technical peril anyways in in the u.s and that's part of the dream and it's it's really awesome and we get to see a lot of people employed and needles going up and down um but more importantly there's you know there's this you know every year there's a save or two right. and somebody's home playing with their kids and that might not have been if there hadn't been as much thought process put into all that so and let's talk. Okay, yeah, you're absolutely right. Let's talk about the two lines that you that you've had running. So you started with Axi- the Axios, Axios line. Axios, yeah, yeah. And a- then and then now you've developed and introduced Kairos. Kairos. Yep. So we have two full systems. Um, uh, systems one, you know, consists of layers one through eight, um, which are a take on the systems that we developed for um, protective combat uniform all yeah. those twenty years ago. But we've expanded it greatly. So we rate um, and certify systems from 106 degrees Fahrenheit down to minus 75 degrees. And in some cases, we can kick down to minus 115 uh, degrees Fahrenheit for certain protocols. And uh, and the the goal of Beyond is to be the modern-day outfitter, right, to provide knowledge, Mm -hmm. uh, knowledge products, um, anecdotes, uh, training, you know, to... People that, you know, today is, a uh, you know, 82% of America lives in an urban centric, uh, either su- city or suburbia. Um, and, uh, we target a 25 to 35 year old psychographic. And for those folks, less and less of them get outside. Um, and we're just more disconnected to the outdoors than ever before. And so we're trying to be a bridge that teaches folks to go beyond, um, mm-hmm. as our campaign, last latest campaign we've been doing. And push people to get out and really reap the health benefits. Uh, and then, of course, once you're out there, you begin to love it a little more. And it becomes a resource that becomes important to you. And then you protect it. And so, you know, we have this unique position in that we're a centrist brand. Um, meaning 
you know, we're, you know, we, we outfit some amazing people that would usually be considered conservative on that side. And we have um, kind of a, you know, we're probably fiscally conservative or we have a bit of a socially probably liberal agenda up here in Seattle. And, um, you know, I'm a, I'm a bit libertarian in my own heart. And so it's like, hey, man, as long as that person ain't hurting you, you know, I'm not going to get in the weeds. That's what that's what we fought for. We mm-hmm. fought to have people express themselves in this amazing, you know, social experiment that, right. that we have. That, Absolutely. That, that still might not work, frankly. Hmm. Um, that's the, the, you know, the amazing part of all that. So, um, so up here, we've got a ton of environmental initiatives all the way around through our product, through our positioning, um, endangered species protection, a bunch of really cool things that we're doing that feel amazing. Um, simultaneously, we're, you know, we're, we're doing rapid development on niche systems that, that, that really keep people safe in all sorts of mission profiles and science profiles. A lot of people out there surveying ice and doing all sorts of stuff in every harsh environment in the world. And we're just going to expand that and um, build storytelling around uh, around uh, the highlights of that. And hopefully you guys come. And then most importantly to all that is um, our Kairos line, um, you know, is, is direct consumer only. And so we took uh, we took Kuyu's model, right? And they, yeah. they they did a great job for all of you out there that, that know Kuyu, and they still are doing a great job. Yep. Um, and I don't put that entire retail margin on my stuff. So if you look at my Kairos, you know, product, it, you know, it is wholesaling directly to the customer all the time. Right. Right. So. Um, so you'd, you'd basically, if you were going to keystone it and put it in a store, you would double its price. And that's what a retailer would charge you for it. Mm-hmm. We just aren't going to sell in any doors, but the plan is to sell on our own. We'll start expanding to our own doors and pop-ups. And, uh, and the intent for that was to bring things at a very reasonable, um, price that are very accessible to folks that, that might be resource constrained and get them outside and get them enjoying things without trying to break them in half you know, break them in half for on pricing. Yeah. On pricing. Um, I, I, I don't think you need to be greedy today. I think you need to, to understand what it takes to build, you know, keep the lights on and build a value system and give enough return so that investors aren't scared of you. Mm -hmm. But simultaneously people need to come here and know that they're, they're number one, they're special. And, and they are, when you come to beyond your rock star, it doesn't matter what you do. We're here to try to outfit you, um, to get you out, to have an, you know, a great adventure somewhere and hopefully have you come back and tell us about it and we can, we can enjoy it with you. And we're putting the tools in place more and more. And you're going to see an evolution over the next couple of years that positions us, um, to hopefully be that, you know, be that for a lot of people coming up and, in a really a safe place for them to come and, and, you know, you can ask any dumb question. You can, you know, we, you know, our intent is to support you, not sell to you. And that's, right. that's, you have to start that. That's a, that's a hard thing to teach and train, but the team here is doing a better job of it than I could ever ask. Yeah. Watching the evolution of what you guys have, where you guys started with Ocho. Yeah. And like seeing God. where you're, seeing where you're at today, like substantial. Yeah. We're thinking about like doing like a burning man with Ocho. You I think we still have it. I think we're going to light that thing up. At yeah. some point, um, you still have Ocho. I think we do. Yeah, we should burn. Him. I think I told him we needed to burn to burn Ocho yeah. as, a, as an effigy. Right. 
Um, so I don't know. I don't know. It's, um, I will tell you, it's, it's funny. I love, I love what we're doing here. I love, um, the types of things that we're supporting. I love the people, uh, that we support. And you'd brought up earlier, we, we go through this really challenging thing and and, it, and I'll use, and there's, I'm not going to pick on them openly here, but there's other brands in the business that I don't feel are proud of, of our mission partners. And from a branding proposition, they disavow that. They do things to try to hide that. Mm-hmm. But yet an outdoor company, you know, you don't want to walk into an outdoor company and just see camo everywhere. That doesn't make any sense. It's sort no. of confusing. And so what we did here and what we're going to do in all of our retail spaces is, uh, you know, we build a marquee kind of uh, space for our mission teams. So not only are we not hiding it, it's kind of an open site and other people aren't allowed to go in. And and by mission, you mean your special operations customer. Yeah. 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 So, uh, yeah, I don't, I can't get to conventional. I can't spell it. Can't. I get to the V and I, I, the enchinal, I lose all that. Yeah. I I can't either. um, It, uh, it, uh, not that those folks aren't great, but I just, uh, those big program shops, I I have a hard time working with them. Mm -hmm. So, um, so here, you know, we actually found this, this, you know, and I apologies to all the Catholics out there, this, this, you know, used Catholic confessional from the 1850s and, uh, we lopped the back off it and built it into a wall, put this sign over it that says, you know, only the strong, the confessional, all will be forgiven. And you, <laughs> it's great. And you it's literally amazing. dip into this thing and you've got all the mission and U.S. product inside of that room. It's a small whiskey bar. Um, yeah, you know, it's amazing. Couch, some, you know, you know, and I try to put, I can't have enough American flags. I put, put those up everywhere yeah. I can all over the place. As you should. So in my, in my UK brethren, those are going, yeah, I got some British flags mm. are going to be going up too. So much love got to some you jacks guys. going up, huh? Yep. Yep. So, uh, that's some, some huge stuff there. So. Yeah. I have a ton of customers over in the UK. I love those guys. Yep. They're awesome. I have a ton of friends over there. Yeah. The international cr- crowd is really special. It's yeah. really been fun for me to, to get to know them. So, um, so yeah, so that's, I mean. Hey, look, there's, I could talk to your blue in the face about any phase of the model, uh, you know, here. Right. Um, but it's, uh, I pinch myself every time I come in. I mean, we're, I, you know, I walk by and you saw it earlier. I've got uh, a display hive set up. You know, we've got 60,000 honeybees getting installed into our retail space mm-hmm. in the spring. And we, we would have had them in already, but it, it just, it, we had a cold snap in Seattle too fast and it would have hurt them to do it. So. Right. They're going to hang out and before they get installed into that. And we're, we're, you know, we're setting up uh, this, you know, this apiary that's, you can come in and be a part of and see it. And, and, you know, and that'll be the anchor for our pollinator program. And we're going to, you know, we're going to have uh, some really neat, uh, really neat uh, products that, that, that are around that. But more importantly, all of our um, hang tags as of next fall will be plantable in support of it. So you'll be able to just rip the hang tag off your beyond stuff, throw it in the ground, water it and lavender or poppies will grow out of the ground for the pollinators. And Dude, that's awesome. It is. It's just really fun. And, um, uh, and, and I don't know, it's, uh, it's that kind of stuff, uh, is, you know, it, you know, we're going to put a lot of wood behind supporting that. And that's, that's a, that's going to be great. And if anyone who hasn't ever seen a display beehive, I could, I mean, it's like, I could watch it forever. Like I could just yeah. sit there and watch it. It's just awesome. Um, and uh, we'll have that going at beyond here. So free to stop by anytime starting in the spring and check that out. Nice. Yeah. 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 I mean, yeah. Some of the environmental initiatives that you guys have done and like the other stuff you guys are supporting is great. Um, 
do you want to talk about AG23 at all? Oh, AG. Yeah, no, it's uh so uh you know, I met uh met through a, a common uh you know, com- common friend. This gentleman named Dan Milner. And Dan, I'm going to tell you about this podcast so you can hear about you. Um and uh he's uh this evangelist for uh Blurb, um which is a publishing company out of San Francisco. And um and uh but Dan is a you know, a professional photojournalist been done all that been around knows kind of everybody in that and just this just i don't know i just relish the time i spent with him because he's just freaking awesome dude um uh talk you know witty uh really well spoken and really plugged into a creative side of the industry that of course i was nowhere near never been anywhere near and um so having been you know been really taught by you know my employee you know time employees and you know friends guys like jay neely and how to pick up a camera because we were too cheap to hire professional photographers and, you know, (laughs) and learn how to take a picture, which balling on a budget. Yeah. Balling on a budget, you know, and now I got to be around, you know, you know, this gentleman who, and, and his, you know, mutual friends, um, guys like Alan Henry and and other folks that really knew all these amazing people that I read books about and and I get to sit at the table and, and listen to them. So he and I were cooking up this idea. And one of the big challenges was, how do you make something that is really special, have it be printed because things aren't printed anymore and have it not be commercial, have it not be a catalog, have it right. not be, you can go and go to, you know, shot show, go to outdoor retailer and you send beautiful books and they're like this amazing story about Wyoming or something. And then, yeah, I mean, there's companies out there that put out some phenomenal, oh, amazing, right? Lookbooks, and yeah. then the, you know, the next page after that is buy the, you know, calf tough pant. It's going to be, and you're like, oh, okay, all right, well, and so, you know, we wanted to do this project. We called it, we named it AG23. We cooked it up about a year ago, and the first issue is going to print now, where it's an incubator for talent. the mm-hmm. The mission statement of AG is to promote um, universal. It's a it's a calculus function. Universal understanding um, is is a function of uh, dialogue and art. Right. If so, I love that. Right. Enough people are talking. They're not fighting. Mm-hmm. Right. Again, this centrist position, you don't have to, you don't have to agree, but if you're talking, you're going to come out with understanding. Right. Um, art, whether it be of any genre, um, whether it be, you know, photography, sculpture, um, writing, poetry, who knows? Um, we wanted to make this amazing publication that, that highlighted both very senior people that had private projects that they just had no place to put and maybe were out of touch with a younger crowd mm-hmm. and younger people that just had no opportunity to get published. We take those, we curate them, we send them off to a, a lady named Zoe Saldaski who is uh, down in um, Australia. She won the Australian Book Design Awards and she is a baller and um, she has no rules. So she takes our inputs and she can make anything she wants with it. And then she gives us back the proof and we print 2,000 of them. And, and that's th- it. That's it for that issue. And then we that translates over, and you'll see built right into the front, there's a big QR code but right in front of this first issue, and it will be, I think, in all of them. And that pulls back into a microsite that highlights these people, and we're going to build a community around that. So if you're a contributor and you've been in, it's kind of like getting like a Hall of Fame coat. Mm-hmm. You're now part of a, a, um, you know, a network that is going to grow with every contributor to connect all these contributors and we have literally no rules on 
what comes into it. It just has to be super high quality. It can be, you know, it can be beautiful for what it is. It can be very left-leaning. It can be very right-leaning. Um, uh, we're going to balance that out, you know, in, in a way that I think is interesting. But, you know, we have some amazing contributors. It's just so fucking rad. I don't have the words. Ultimately, AG will be a platform to give uh, um, grants and college scholarships um, and, and will grow to be its own sub-brand in the way like a monocle grew into right. that kind of. Um, and, uh, and hopefully becomes a voice for sort of, uh, editorial storytelling, um, you know, as, as we move forward and, and, uh, becomes kind of the soul of the brand a little bit. But like you said, your first question, what's the ROI on this? And I'm like, <laughs> I'm like, I don't, I don't, not only does it not have an ROI, the I, point... I don't know if you know, met my boss when I was at Smith, but he's very business-minded. Mm. He taught me this term ROI, and I was just curious. Yeah, no, I, uh, it's, it, is, uh, it does not have one other than building a tribe, you know, creative That folks. is the ROI. Right. Yeah, the ROI the is the day, like giving people opportunity that otherwise probably wouldn't have it and to build a tribe. Yeah. And that's, and that's a bit of a long ball play. That's mm -hmm. not something you put into a quarterly financial. Um, but who's doing it? Nobody's doing it. Nobody's doing it. it. It's, it is unique in the way it's being done. And, uh, and the, hopefully there are people, it's an open submission site, uh, ag23mag.com, um, which you can go on anytime right now it's getting a refresh. So you can pop on there though and still submit no problem, but, uh, it's getting a refresh into a new skin that, uh, is really beautiful that the boys over at Tumwater, uh, Tumwater Creative, um, uh, put together, uh, Jay it and looks Nick. great. Yeah. It Jane, looks really good. Great so, dudes. um, and so Dan and I are senior co co-editors on this mm -hmm. thing and we're just kind of holding hands as a collab between, you know, this great publishing company and this clothing company, which is a weird collab. I love really weird collabs that just don't make sense. Right. But they complement each other really well. They do. But I, you know how many people go, what, you mm -hmm. know, when they're talking about it. And so, um, you know, so keep an eye out. AG23 will be, you know, kind of popping up and, and uh, a lot of that, a lot of the storytelling will be on that micro site as well, mm -hmm. which is just a feature site. All right. We're right. also, um, Beyond is also going to sell merchandise around AG where the margin all goes toward micro grants. So we're going to, hopefully the more t-shirts and things we sell, the margin, not 5%, not 5% of this, no, the mm -hmm. margin uh, you right. know, so we'll take cost and, and a little bit of expense off just the tra the shipping. Everything else, all the profit goes into a marketing accrual that turn that helps you know either grants or scholarships or collaboration stipends or whatever to help fuel folks that need a little bit of financial help to go tell these stories and go do that. So um, it's it's really awesome. AG, and you'd ask me that. What the hell is AG? Um, AG, a couple things. AG twenty three. Uh, AG Silver, so obviously, a, a, you know, a nod to photography and, and, and the chemistries that go into that. Um, AG also stands for Adolphus Greeley, who is the founder um, of the Explorers Club. And 23, uh, 23 Broadway was the address in New York City of the first ever Explorers Club. So, it, it, again, bound and tied into Beyond as an expeditionary Explorers brand. We want this to be global in voice. We want it to have a, a global viewpoint, and we want to tell stories unabashedly that you might not get in many of the other media places, but come from really, really awesome, um, really just authentic, 
you know, young and, and senior creatives. Um, yeah. Well, I mean, just going through some of what you showed me on the site today with like some of the content that's on there, it's going to be, it's substantial. Oh, it is. It is really special. And we're humbled because, mm-hmm. you know, these folks are out there doing this, right. And we want to yeah. package it. Um, and we don't want to profit from it. We want it to, we want them, we want them to, we want to push people to their organic site. We want them being an AG. We want their next job to see it in there. We want their right. next, we want a publisher or this or that, uh, you know, um, you know, the times, whatever to look and go, whoever this is, we want them to be a stringer for us. So, um, that's the hope. And, uh, it's a, it's a really special project. You know, I'm really excited. Yeah. About I'm it. super stoked about it. Cause I've never seen anybody doing anything like that. Oh, so well, when you, when you briefed me on it today and showed it to me, I was like, that is amazing. A lot of props to, to, to Dan Milner. He's, uh, he's taught me a lot about the industry and, uh, and, uh, and really has been, a, uh, an amazing guiding hand as we've gone through this. And, uh, I've just been plowing into the back end of it, trying to get, keep the infrastructure up, have this all there. And, um, uh, and it gives me the ability to sit and, and be able to, uh, be able to really curate. It's just amazing stuff that then inspires me to, to go out and, and, and make photographs and, and hopefully be creative in, in a way that then shows itself back into the brand and, and, and hopefully makes an environment that everyone wants to, wants to live in. Because, you know, as they say, and it will always be the case, the fish always stinks from the head. So, you know, if organizations messed up, its leader is the reason, period, end of sentence. Right. And so I'm trying not to be that yet. We'll see. I think from the Jocko School of uh, Extreme Responsibility, like you would completely agree with what you're saying right now. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. Yeah, for sure. no, well, I think what you have grown and built this thing into has been, it's it's amazing. It's It's been fun to watch the evolution, you know, and participate in the, you know, a little bit in a limited scope. Yeah, um, no, you're always, always welcome, man. And, and, you know, I'm proud of the teams. The teams are amazing. They make it better every day. And I was just too dumb to quit. That, that was my role. I'm glad you, know, you were. Because we do this, so. you've built something really really awesome um okay so where where can folks find you at um we're we're here on we're down in georgetown seattle so if you guys don't know seattle you've got sort of downtown and then you've got soto southern downtown and then Mm -hmm. you've got what used to be just an amazing shithole of an industrial area called georgetown Mm -hmm. which now because of the microsoft's and amazon's of the world everyone's been pushed out it's now become the quote-unquote artsy district of, oh. of of the area and Did so oh yeah i'll, uh, I'll take where i'm taking you tonight to dinner i'll okay. give you a run around and show it to you but it's uh it's you know all pubs and it's growing up pretty crazy down here so it's right. it's actually a really cool place to be um down on uh 6363 6th avenue south in seattle um 98108 and uh we're we're, we're open uh nine to five uh monday to friday and uh, so willing to pop in and uh, you're, you know, and the place is tourable. So if you come in and go, I'd really like to see this, the place, just ask and our folks will walk you through and show you what's going on. And uh, it's just a, a really, a really great place and an interesting space to, you know, time to be a part of it. Um, and then if you really love clothing, you know, we can talk to you about the stitch, you know, for hours, for hours. Seriously. Right. More importantly, though, if you do need some help going someplace to do something awesome, if you're an, even an expert that wants to go, hey, I'd like to get just kind of buffed up on what I'm using and how I'm using it, or 
maybe even just do a common sense check. You know, all we do here is systems. You know, the products are awesome, but the really the goal is the system. And uh, and we would love to advise, to learn from you, to to have you be a part. And then your voice will, you know, really be a part of the DNA of the brand and will evolve very real time because we're on a one-year development cycle here, unlike most other brands that are two to three years. And so our stuff, your input comes in and it changes very quickly. Um, so so it's uh, it's kind of fun to be a part of that. Nice. So where can people find you? Because uh, you've got a few channels. So, yeah, I know uh, um, mostly Delta Airlines is where you can. <laughs> <laughs> mostly Sit, flying back. And you forth. know, sitting next to a, a portly gentleman in mm-hmm. row 13 with my knees under my chin is mm-hmm. most of the time where you'll find me. But uh, but um, I guess uh, personally, um, you know, I like to, to post as, uh, um, as the lawless underscore truth. And I get shoot as the warden. Um, uh, on Instagram, uh, lawlesstruth.com. Um, and then of course, um, being a part of the work here, uh, beyondclothing.com, um, the blogs in and around that. And then of course, and then of course, check out agmag.com to see our, our microsite and these, these amazing folks. Give us a couple of weeks cause that, that new reskin is going up, but it's going to be, uh, going to coincide with our first edition that's going to be going out. And, and, uh, I don't know, that's, you know, between that and, uh, Five beautiful children and oh, you know a wonderful wife. She um, is amazing. That's uh, that's Liz. I, I don't have. Yeah, You're I don't, amazing. Yeah, I'm sorry. I will not see you on the Facebook. I will not be Facebooking with you anytime soon. I have a team that oh, does God. that, but I can't. Uh, I fucking I, hate Facebook. I just can't do it. I just yeah, can't get I can't, behind I, it. I struggle. Like I just do it pretty much on from a business aspect. So. Yeah. Yeah. No, yeah, not a lot of Snapchat. Not a lot of, you no. know, you know, post every once in a while on IG no. and that's about it. I have a Snap channel. I yeah. never, never use it. Like yeah. I live on Instagram. So, yeah. You can link me in, but I check that once every nine months. So yeah, I, me apo- too. I do apologize I have for a my professional well. network. Yep. I <laughs> check it every once, you know, once a quarter, check my LinkedIn. Yeah. I gotcha. <laughs> well, good, man. Well, thank you so much for the, for the invitation down here. Like what you've done with the HQ is has been great. I highly encourage everybody that's listening if you want to check out like cutting edge tech apparel that is outside of the norm. Um, come down here. Come down to Seattle if you're not here. If you are in Seattle, definitely come down to Georgetown. You said Georgetown, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and and check out the Beyond HQ. They're doing amazing stuff down here and basically blazing trail that nobody else in the outdoor space is doing right now. So I highly recommend it. Well, thanks, man. Thanks for being here. And uh, the next time we talk pretty much nothing about me and I just want to hear about Orion design group and all the stuff you got going on, brother. We're working, we're, we're, we're working, man. We've got some fun things going on and we're working through some of our tech issues that I've talked to you about. I talked to Andy about it on, on the cleared hot podcast, which was, if you guys haven't checked that out, go check out, episode 101 of Andy Stump's Cleared Hot. Yeah, um, Mr. Stump's awesome. Yeah, phenomenal human. One of my favorite people in the galaxy. Um, great friend. And um, we talk in depth about some, you know, social media marketing challenges and, you know, small business growth and e-com and stuff like that. So we're working our way through that. And I had some great people uh, hit me up after that podcast and they've like thrown their hats in the circle to like help out. And they've been great so far. So um, Jamie McMillan, I'm talking about you. So thank you so much for doing what you're doing to get our game on point. And, uh, 
yeah, come down here and check this place out. You guys will not be disappointed at all. Yep. Hey, you're all welcome. We'd be rad to see you. And uh, whatever you do, have a great adventure, okay? Yeah. All right, man. Well, should we wrap that up? All right, man. Let's go have dinner. Okay, let's do it. Okay, everyone. Well, I hope you enjoyed that uh, in-depth podcast with Rick and I. And what a great dude. Can't say enough good things about that man. I hope you guys enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed doing that podcast with him. And stay tuned for next week. Until next time on the Lone Element Podcast. Have a great week, everyone. We'll catch you then.